Hi, I'm Jim Lloyd, and we're at the Withful Heritage Center. Today, Junior Appalachian Musicians is paying a visit on Frank Emerson, who has been a professional musician for 48 years. Well, Frank, thank you for joining us. Sure, Jim, my pleasure. Uh, I guess we'll start with, uh, where were you raised? Well, pretty much in the Boston area. Not Boston, Virginia, Boston, Massachusetts. No <laughs> okay, and you're- my distinct accent. Uh, yeah, I can tell that. <laughs> And so your your uh, your family heritage was a mixture of cultures. It was, yeah, yeah. Uh, some of it uh, uh, Irish, uh, Italian, and, uh, and uh, bacterial. bacterial, bacterial culture. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well we're we're going to ignore that side of things. <laughs> you're uh, so. What was the what's your first music memory? What was the first music you were exposed to? Well. I don't know, I can't remember my, my actual first one. I remember my, my mother played the piano, but we didn't have a piano. But I, and I, can't, I don't remember where it was and whose house it was where uh, she played a little bit and, uh, and I was listening to it. That's, that's the first thing I can remember, really. Uh, and later on, uh, well, much later on, I guess I was about uh, 15 or 16 in 1963. And uh, we had a date, and we went up to uh, uh, Hampton Beach, New Hampshire, and there was a place there called the Casino. And I guess it, I, I don't think it was ever a gambling establishment, but it was a place like a pavilion where they have dances and all that. But they had concerts there, and uh, we got tickets to see uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and it just kind of blew me away the, uh, the way they sounded and the, the performance and all of that. And, uh, it kind of stuck with me and, and put a burr under my saddle to. To see whether I could uh, do something like that. So, were you playing guitar at that time, or not really? No. So you actually made the decision. I'm gonna learn to play guitar. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, it never panned out. <laughs> never really did learn how to play it. I learned how to fake it. Uh, but the thing that spurred me on more than that was a, a little bit later. Uh, although they were active at the time, and they they just became popular in Ireland was the Clancy Brothers, and they came over here. And I said, "Oh, that's it." So, uh, so that that really spurred me onward to uh, to try to play music. Now, the Clancy Brothers were kind of uh, semi-traditional, right? Irish, right? Uh, yeah. Right. So that that goes back to your Irish heritage right. and your, right. that side of it. Did you get any influences from the from the Italian? Uh, a lot of sign language. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> most of which is uh, you can't film. <laughs> But not, uh, not really. Uh -huh. uh, well, the Clancy Brothers influenced a lot of people. Oh, they did. Very widespread, yeah. 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 What, was, what was the, do you remember the, the, the first song that you heard that they did that was just the one that you really wanted to learn? Uh, no, I don't, but I think, the, the, uh, at least specifically, but I think the first, uh, we're talking about record albums, I think it was the one, one of the first ones that they did, it was out on Tradition Labels, which was their own label, and they started it in, in uh, Greenwich Village in, in New York, uh, and it was all uh, revolutionary songs of the, of the Irish Revolution, the Irish uh, Civil War, in, uh, well, from 1916 through 1922. And it was a series of songs there, but then, uh, then the, the next record, uh, well, they followed up with other records, of course, with more the, the traditional songs and uh, with a with a modern 
twist because they were largely vocal. You know, uh, Tommy Mapham, of course, was multi-instrumentalist, and Liam played guitar, but their strength was their their uh, four voices blending together. Uh, so and it lended itself to tradition, traditional very well. But they they uh, like you said, based on traditional songs, but they did it in a popular uh, popular way that was more acceptable to uh, an audience. And I forget who it was, it may have been uh, Chesterton that said that uh, Ireland is uh, the land of uh, uh, happy wars and sad love songs. <laughs> so uh, they, uh, and they, they kind of uh, perpetuated that, I guess, to a, to a degree. And, and I know you're a history guy. Yeah. So your, your, your love of history, uh, when you're talking about the Irish Revolution, I'm yeah. sure that that probably was a big influence on you too. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, particularly with the you know the American audiences, you like to you identify with the American Revolution and anything close to that. And, and of course, the Irish Revolution was in well at that time. It was in that century, in the 1900s. Yeah, 1900s, 20th century, and. Uh, so it was something more immediate that you could identify with as uh, standing up against the, the bad guys. Right. Okay. When um, so you you got your guitar and practiced up and you remember your first gig? Uh, yeah, more or less. Uh, I was acting in a summer stock company in uh, Littleton, Littleton, New Hampshire. And it, it was a repertory company, and so it lasted uh, six or eight weeks, I guess. And this was about 1972, maybe. And uh, so we had eight weeks, but we had well, it was six weeks and eight shows in six weeks. We kept it was round robin. It was a, really a challenge to. to and some shows you you had a, a bigger part, and some shows you had a, a small part. It was a challenge to keep everything straight in your mind. And remember all the direction and what you're supposed to do and your character and all of that. So one of the ways that we unwind, unwound, unwound, unwinded, <laughs> and I was to uh, to go next door to the theater and there was a uh, there was a bar in the motel there, and three or four of us would get on stage, and for beer and peanuts after the shows, and a lot of the audience would come over and, and come to the motel and eat food and, and uh, listen to or uh, rendition of various uh, folk songs. And I slammed away on a, an old Sears Roebuck classical guitar. Uh, that was the only instrumentation we had. And uh, so luckily everybody had, uh, uh, for the most part, pretty good memories. So we didn't have to have the lyrics right in front of us and we could actually act out the show and a little bit of comedy in between as well. We stole everybody's material, a lot of Bob and Ray stuff. <laughs> So that's that was my first uh, thing, and as for paying gigs, it was like I said, beer and peanuts. But, uh, but you were performing otherwise as an actor, right? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. So what made the decision to go with the music more so than the acting? We got offers to to uh, well, myself and one other fellow uh, got offers to uh, to perform there later on during the year, and. Uh, the, the theater had the uh, that theater had, the season was over with, and uh, so there was we said well maybe we can make some money this way, 
because we weren't making any money as actors, really. We, as, in that company, we're making fifteen dollars a week. <laughs> um, which is, which Big is a lot of improvement from uh, beer and peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so we said, well, let's let's try that. Let's do it, go that way. So, and as as a performer, when you started doing this, you know, we all have to you have to learn new repertoire mm -hmm. over and over. So how did you? Uh, so you're picking stuff from the Kingston Trio and the Clancy Brothers sure. and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Um, how did you how did you work this up? How did you uh, determine what you wanted to do? You just hear something and like it, or uh, I'm not sure I understood the question. How do well, I determine? Well, okay. A lot of times when people, uh, I, I'll do a show and they'll say, "I want you to play a specific song," so I have to learn that. Other than that, I pretty much do anything I want if yeah. I hear something like it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I, I agree, uh, and uh, what spurred me on to to learn more music, uh, learn, learn more songs anyway. Uh, I used to try to make a, make, a, uh, make a deal sort of with the audience, not, not verbalize it, but this is what went through my head. It is, okay, I'll do one that, that you want, or that you like, now I want you to listen to one that I like. And uh, that worked uh, fairly well, and, uh, and eventually, and not, not too long thereafter, those two things began to meld. And uh, so the things that I preferred to play were a lot of the things that they wanted to hear anyway. And uh, so it worked, worked well to, to build a report if you could get uh, uh, people to listen to you, which was always a problem. My, pretty much all of my career as such was in uh, pubs and bar rooms. And uh, so you try to get to people, you're fighting People with a propensity to, to drink too much and and, uh, and be loud, be loud, yeah. And all that. yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to be nice about yeah. this. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I think uh, that that's that is a big challenge for a performer. Yeah. How how do you handle that? How do you uh, how do you combat that? Sometimes not well. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, everybody that goes into the, the business, uh, particularly if you if if you're going in not just to play music for the sake of music, but to entertain or to perform. You have some sort of an ego, and uh, the, the uh, big challenge is to control that because it can sometimes get out of hand. And uh, and if it does, you, well, you're not going to handle the heckling very well. And if you if you leave leave your ego at the door, which I always tried to do, and so most of my humor and, and the talks, uh, verbalization between songs, even the intros to songs, try to be self-deprecating as, as much as possible. And I think you do sim similar. I think you do the same thing. You, you give them, you don't give them a chance to, to get at you. Do it to yourself first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that way, you know, you, they'll laugh with you and not yes. at you. <laughs> Absolutely. Humor yeah. is a good tool yeah. as a performer. Yeah. I think it's it's yeah. a really good thing to have. I think so. And and the ability to laugh at yourself. Yeah, you got to. Uh, recently, I did a show and forgot a capo and had to use a pencil and a rubber band and. <laughs> you know, there's little instances like that that what oh, makes yeah. life interesting. Do you have anything like that that sticks out in your head? Well, one time I, I was playing, I, just, I, I had moved away from uh, that Sears, Sears Roebuck, uh, not, not against Sears, <laughs> uh, 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 classical, got the plastic string, uh, classical to a, uh, a fairly cheap, and I can't even remember the first, uh, 
the model name of it, but it was a 12-string, and it was just about as cheap as, as the, uh, the first guitar, and pretty much sounded it. And I wasn't really sure. In, uh, nowadays, you can turn, you can tune your 12-string in, in concert, and that, which is the same tuning as the, as the six-string. But in those days, you had, to, you had to tune it down two keys because of the, st the stress pry on the bridge. I didn't know that. So I, uh, I would tune it in concert, and uh, like I said, this is not a real good guitar anyway. And uh, which kind of went along with my uh, abilities. <laughs> nice match. And uh, so I had a propensity to, uh, to break strings pretty often. And uh, ironically enough, uh, if I would break, because uh, the, the strings on the 12 string are set up in, in, in octaves for the most part, except for the upper three, and they're, uh, they're the same note, but the strings I would break, if I broke an E string, I would break a, a, a B string. And so they, I, I never broke two of the same string, <laughs> two of the same pair. So I figured, and it depended on the, on the, the, uh, the hour of the night, and the audience as well, but it didn't matter as long as they had, you know, something similar to the way it's supposed to be set up. Eh, go on, you got ten more of these things, and um, that happened a lot until one night uh, I was playing away, and this was a place at Cape Cod, and uh, it was humid, which doesn't no good for strings anyway. And I was slamming away, we were slamming away, myself and this other guy on uh, some tune. And the bridge lifted right up. <laughs> no. <laughs> so and, and you could hear it, you know, and it made a noise like a bang, and uh, scared me a little bit. And I looked at him; he's still playing. And uh, he said, "Keep going, <laughs> get going." It just it just sounded awful. <laughs> but the audience was to the point where uh, they had heard the noise too, but they just thought that was terrific, and uh, they'd been drinking pretty well. Part of the show. It's part of the show. <laughs> do it again. Do it again. What about your? Uh your heckling experience. Some of those guys get pretty witty. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, uh, none that you could repeat, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty hard because when they, uh, when they heckle, you know, uh, you, know so you, you want to come back with something snappy and sometimes it, it catches you off guard and you can't come back with anything snappy. It's like, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of social romance and that type of thing. And that, doesn't work. Well, and also, I've, I've had experiences where I shouldn't have been so snappy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all a wonderful journey uh, as you go through your experiences and learn, and, and different audiences are different, yeah. Yeah. too. I tell you, I'll tell you one, this is one that's unique. I was playing in uh, Atlanta, uh, Buckshead, it's a nice place, and it was the night of uh, a Notre Dame Michigan football game, and I, they had they, they had a separate sort of dart area. That's where the TVs were all carrying on the the, uh, the game. So I'm up on stage, and people are requesting several times, uh, uh, really early on. This is an Irish place; they wanted a Notre Dame fight song. So I played it, and this happened about four times. So evidently, there was a Michigan fan in the audience. Just one. <laughs> the one that made himself known, <laughs> because uh, all of a sudden uh, I just happened to, to step back from from, a, from the mic for an instant, and I, I, I don't know, maybe I was doing a little vamp, and this fella in front of me 
it was pretty pretty much a ringside. It was almost right up against the stage. There's a couple sitting there. This guy stood up and goes like that. Geez, I wonder what that is. And I, just as I stood back, a dart hit right between Holy my legs. Cow. The guy had winged a dart from the dark room all the way across the bar at me. <laughs> so, uh, so did you do the Michigan song then? <laughs> no, no, no. I said, okay. And the, the fellow who, he, he blocked the dart. So they went down. Like oh, that. so he bought, yeah. Yeah, and okay. I said, I owe you a drink, you know. Yeah, thank you. I said, I'm just going to take a little break here. So I went back toward the dart room. I said, uh, back to, uh, who's, whose dart is this? And, you know, nobody knows about that. Everybody's John yeah. Gotti then. Oh, no, no. <laughs> and uh, so I said, I just want to return it and to the fellow. And, and what I wanted to do was return it to him in his eye. And uh, so one of the owners came up to me. and uh, Well, I went up to one of the owners. They seemed completely oblivious. And there was a policeman on duty that night, too, in the bar. And uh, I said, uh, I'm just going to tell you what happened. So I explained what happened to her. And she said, oh, well, that's one of our darts. I said, not anymore, it's not. I said, it's mine. And this is going on a plaque. I'm making a plaque. I'm putting it up in my, uh, in my office. It says, there's no business like show business. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> what... Uh, well, what's one of the, the, the better places you've played as far as a memorable show? Well, I played uh, a lot of years. There's, there was a place that's gone now, unfortunately, uh, called Kevin Barry's in uh, Savannah. And I played there for, uh, I started in 81. He opened in, in uh, Halloween of, of, of 1980. Uh, and it was it was done on purpose that day because in 1920 on on, on uh, the last uh, on Halloween that was when Kevin Barry was executed in in, in Ireland uh, for uh, uh, rebel activities and uh, so he opened that day and I started in July of '81 and my last uh, job there was January of 2020 so uh, how many years is that? 39 years. Yeah, yeah. long time. Yeah. I played there a lot and uh, it was, uh, had some, some, I met some really interesting people there. Uh, Medal of Honor winners, senators, a uh, uh, lot of military, uh, some, uh, some stars uh, uh, and, and, and celebrities who, who were legitimate celebrities. Arnie Palmer, Just a lot, a lot of a lot of very interesting people. Uh, uh, Bill Garnier and, and uh, Dave Heffron from the Band of Brothers from uh, uh, World War II, the Battle of the Bulge. Those those guys came in. A few of them came in. And then a lot of uh, a lot of fellow musicians came in, uh, in, the, in, the, in not just from uh, the Irish genre, but John Prine, uh, uh, a few other people. What's uh, Renona Judd uh -huh. was there. And so that was always pretty interesting when, when uh, people like that would come in because they were, you know, they, they were part of the same game and uh, they kind of respected what you were doing and were interested in what you were doing. You, know, you, might, you might not have been their favorite, and, uh, but they, uh, they were courteous and, and uh, almost uh, without a doubt to, to a man very, very complimentary in their uh, attention and all that. And they stood, stood as examples. They said, well, that guy says he's okay, he must be okay. So, Kind of, they, they taught the audience how to uh, 
how to act, how to behave. Well, this place was also a listening room type of place too. They they were they asked the audience to, to be quiet. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And uh, it was a listening room. I said it was called that. And uh, now you you've told me about the St. Patrick's Day celebration there. Yeah. I, I think people would oh. be really interested in hearing about that. Oh, it's an open air asylum. <laughs> Thousands and thousands of people, and uh, I mean, it's not art. Art state goes out the window on that day. It's, it's just a, a big uh, excuse for for a, a a street party. And how many stories was this building? Canavaris, uh -huh. where where public was uh, two floors was open to the public, but it uh, was an old cotton cotton warehouse. So there were several floors on top of that. But you're during, during the, uh, the St. Patrick's Day celebration. You were on off like 24 hours a day. Yeah, you? yeah. With uh, with uh, I worked with two other guys, and then we had another group as well. And uh, we would do round robin upstairs and downstairs. And a few times during the evening, the three of us would get together and do a, a trio. And uh, we all knew similar material and a lot of the same material, and so it wasn't. It wasn't. We weren't. It wasn't really new to us working with one another. We pretty much had the same arrangements to the song, but you paid attention to what the other guy was doing, what the other guys were doing, and try to try to make it meld uh, as as good as possible. Uh, and, and not that a whole lot of it mattered as the day went on, because people got pretty well uh, pretty well potted. And uh, yeah, but what a what a arduous task to go that yeah. long. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I mean, the only good thing about it is that nobody was throwing darts or shooting at us. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and how many hours would this go on? Uh, let's see, we would start at noon and it would get over at one o'clock or so the next morning. Next morning, yeah. And then start back up. Yeah, yeah, but it, uh, it, that, that part of it, the St. Patrick's Day in, in Savannah, I don't know how it's Going now, but it used to, they took excuse for, uh, made an excuse to, to have basically a, a week long celebration. But whenever it got right down to the to the days, it was about St. Patrick's Day, and then you know, the, the one or two days on, on either side of it. And uh, St. Patrick's Day itself, that was the, the long one, although the day before was also long, and the day after was also long. <laughs> but, that, but the week before, and they would, it would end pretty much. Day after Patty's Day, I mean, everybody just for your own peace of mind, and to get the place cleaned up. Uh, I don't think they opened till uh, six or eight that night, just uh, hair of the dog type of thing. A lot of people listening probably don't understand how hard this job is, how hard it is to work at that. Yeah. And so, when you when you're done with the show, when, when you it's time to unwind, what do you do? Drink and <laughs> sleep. Okay. Well, sometimes I get so wound up I can't sleep. Well, that's that's the thing. If you try, you know. That, well, that's what the drink is there for. Okay. <laughs> um, Frank, you you mostly, I guess, for most of your career, you've been a solo performer. But you but you have done groups. Right. Um, what do you find different about that? What's the pros and cons? Well, the, the obvious thing is, uh, I think, to me anyway, if you're, you're working solo, 
and make a mistake, there's nobody else you can blame. And if you're working in a group, you come say it was his fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at the guy next to you. <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> I have found, um, I miss the sound of a band. Oh, absolutely. If I'm solo. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but what I found is the audience, if they, if it's not there, they don't know it. It's not. Yeah. 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 You kind of make compromises with yourself. When I'm working so I, I hear the sound in my head already. And, uh, so I try to, uh, try to perform as if I'm hearing as if they're there, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, you hope that I that I uh, sing the right part. <laughs> <laughs> That's a challenge too. <laughs> and I know you've had instances, as we all have, of not remembering a word. Oh God, yeah, yeah. So what do you do? There was a guy years ago, and a vaudeville performer named Al Kelly, and uh, he was the master of double talk. And so, uh, so. His whole act was double talk, and he'd be introduced in, in, in a sketch or a bit as different people, you know, the water commissioner or the mayor of such and such. And he'd come out, and the, whoever the interviewer was, his, his uh, straight man, would ask him questions about uh, that job, and he would he made it sound like he was saying something that was gibberish. It was absolutely not anything. <laughs> and so, uh, and you know, I'd like to think sometimes it worked if I, if the the words went right out of my head. Uh, I would uh, just do gibberish and, and, and react accordingly. That, that and those, these are the actual words. <laughs> it helped with the gesture, you know, too. Dramatic, dramatic uh, 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 gesture. So people would look like that. So yeah, <laughs> that's great. That, that, and that and with, with Irish music in particular, there's a thing called lilting, and it's, and it was mouth music. And so you just uh, stick a high da 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 Yeah, that's the right thing. Okay. <laughs> I might try some of that. <laughs> yeah. When when you blow one up so bad though that you can't fix it, what do you do? Oh, cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apologize. <laughs> and then those nights where anything you do is right. When you know it's one of the, one of those nights where everything is just. You know, perfect. Oh, you'd have to tell me about that. I've never, had, <laughs> I've never had one of them. Oh, once in a while. Yeah. Once yeah. in a while, and uh, it's just like a, you know, an exceptionally good gig. Yeah. Once in a while, yeah. and that's well, the to me. I, I thought that was a myth. That, that never happened. <laughs> <It's> folklore. <laughs> I think I know better than that. <laughs> when. Uh, you had an, an experience too where someone stole your instrument. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, this again, this was, uh, this was in Kevin Barry's and it was Pearl Harbor Day. Uh, I can't remember the year, it was a while ago. And I had finished, the, I had finished performing for the night and doing some patriotic stuff just to, for the sake of Pearl Harbor Day. And, uh, so I'd finished, and uh, during the earlier breaks, I'd met some people, so mostly some, some girls, and we were talking with them, and some ranger friends, army ranger friends of mine were out at the bar. 
And so uh, I said, stick around. I said, just, I'm just going to finish off here. And I said, I want to introduce you to these ranger buddies of mine. Said, okay. So I finished and I collected the, the girls, put my guitar down on stage, collected the girls. And I said, I went out to the bar and said, I'd buy you all a nightcap. There were only three or four of them were all drinking beer. So I wasn't, I wasn't like being Mr. Bunnybags or anything, just being congenial, I thought. So we all had a beer. I said, okay. I said, uh, you know, I guess uh, I guess that's that. And uh, they said, well, the bar's not closed. Let's, let me buy you a beer. I said, okay, great. I said, let me go get my guitar. I walked back in the other room and it was gone. So I looked all over. At first I thought it was a joke. Somebody was yeah, right. having me on. I looked all over the place. I looked throughout the building. It was gone. So that was that. And this was on a Friday night. And I was going on the next night, so I had to get a new guitar the next day. So you went straight down to the music store and just bought one? The next day I went to two or three of them. And uh, the one guy, uh, the one place had, uh, they had a 12-string. And I forget what, what model it was. It doesn't matter because it, uh, it was just in the office. And it was like $4,000. And I said, uh, I said, I I don't want to buy. I don't want to move into it. I just want to rent it. <laughs> and I said, "No, we can't rent you one." And I said, "Okay." So I went to uh, another place. No, no, no luck there. And uh, no, nobody had a twelve string except that one. I said, "Well, I guess I'm going to have to go to a six string." And uh, at that time, I was playing. It was an ovation. It was nice. It was my first decent twelve string guitar was an ovation, and, and it was the first one that I didn't have to capo to. Uh, yeah. to tune, and I said, boy, I was in luck, you know. Nobody had anything like that. So I went to a place called Annie's Guitars, I think she's still there, and uh, she said, we just got one, got one in, and it's a six-string, but it's an ovation, it's a six-string. I said, she said, no, I said, well, you, you like it okay? She said, yeah, except that it was, it was like cherry red. And I said, oh boy, I don't know, that's not gonna be my style. It was kind of the same color as, uh, well, my nose on occasion. And I said, well, okay, it'll match. And she let me have it for like $100 over what it cost. And, uh, and it worked fine. It was uh, the thing that, that uh, I found out later. Annie was very strange, very tall, and uh, kind of a deep voice. And it was Annie Allman. She's a, she's a jazz guitarist herself, but she's cousin to the Allman brothers. Okay, yeah. And uh, I didn't know that. And somebody said, well, you, did you meet her? What did you think? You know, she, I mean, she's very... I wouldn't want to tangle with her, you know. Well, it was nice of her to give you just just very nice. calls. That very nice. She, she understood the, and actually she she had heard of me, and uh, so I think she's just doing a favor. You know? So how did how did it feel to be playing a six string as opposed to a twelve string? That real different, time? real different. Yeah, but I could I could get away with a little bit more stuff on that than I could on the twelve string. So. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Which uh, which was fine with me. So. When you're when you're working out a song, Frank, how do you uh, how do you approach trying to memorize the words? Well, a lot of it, just write it down and repeat repeatedly. Write it down, repeatedly write it down, and uh, and uh, and then keep, and play it and play it and have the lyrics out in front of you. Then rewrite them and rewrite them and just uh, uh, you know that's that was kind of my method. How do you uh, how do you uh, pick your key that you're going to sing into. How do you do oh, your vocal arrangement? Yeah, sometimes that can that can be dicey. Uh, 
because uh, sometimes the key that I rehearse in is not the key that's going to sound right on, on stage. Right. And uh, it really by experimentation, and you, you kind of learn not necessarily your range because that can be that can be tricky. You, uh, sometimes you can do more than you than you think you can. <laughs> Boy, there's a there's a lot of wisdom in that statement. <laughs> yeah, and, and sometimes less. Than you think you can. And uh, so it's really, but you you learn your own vocal capabilities and just say, oh, that's too high for me. Well, one of the battles I've had is is if I hear somebody do a song and think, well, that's really cool, and say they're doing it in the key of G. I can't sing it in G, and when I go to change the key, it doesn't sound right to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So, because I still hear it in G. You just still hear it in G. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because the, what you hear is a certain arrangement in your head, and it, that's not the same thing. Uh, although, technically it is, but it's not. Right, right. So, uh, you, uh, experimentation is the only answer you have for that. I think so, yeah, and hope for the best. Yeah. Right, and I, I have seen times on stage, too, the adrenaline's running, yeah. and you can actually get by with more than you could just yes. sitting around the house. Yes, that, yeah, because the adrenaline does does go. I mean that 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 really does help me, and I, I'm here to tell you that, that that stuff works. You know, whether whether you're in a fight or on stage, sometimes both to <laughs> to match. Uh, yeah, the adrenaline works, and I'll tell you what else works for me. I, I always liked to play on stage where uh, the lights are bright, and that I can't. I can't see but this far into the audience, if that. And I forget who said this, and so somebody else said, oh, but if you safe and secure behind the wall of light. Uh -huh. And uh, that kind of puts me at ease and lets me, the adrenaline's pumping, but it lets me channel it. I have a friend that's 85 now, and yeah. he still performs, yeah. and uh, he gets nervous as yeah. can be. Oh, I do every, I, before every every show. And I, I, I said, you've been doing this since you were a kid. You still get nervous. He said, yep. And the day I stop getting nervous is the day I the quit. Stop. Yeah. Oh, I get I get nervous before every performance. Every you know, all the years I was doing. Now you told me one time too that uh, the songs running through your head all the time, and I think a lot of musicians do yeah. that certainly. Yeah. Day. But you told me you actually woke up at night with with their. Uh, is it, does it, is it more typical for stuff that you're trying to learn, or is it just like random? Well, that, it varies. It varies. And uh, it still happens now, and I haven't been performing now for a couple of years. And uh, I wake up at night with a song in my head. I'm, obviously, I'm not trying to learn anymore. But that's, it's uh, sort of like people have got that, uh, um, what do you call it, the, uh, the ear, uh, an earworm. Uh -huh, right, right. And uh, sometimes that uh, that happens to me while I'm sleeping, and it will wake me up, and I'm singing a song that I haven't. That I, sometimes there's songs I haven't sung, but I know them, and uh, for, and, and I don't know where it comes from. Uh, bing, bing, bing! It, it comes into my head, and if I can remember the dream, sometimes it, it I, I can uh, figure it out why that song occurred and it fits in the dream somehow. Right. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that still happens to me. Well, you, and you drew from all genres, but do you have a favorite genre? Rap. Oh yeah, I can see that. Boston <laughs> Irish. <laughs> I can get down, I can get down. <laughs> oh, I believe it. 
No, no I, I like them all. I like them all. And I used to try to, like, at the times when I told the time of saying to make a make a deal with the audience, I'm going to do, okay, you like that one? I'm going to give you give you this one, and it might be a show tune. And uh, somebody asked me what my favorite song was, and uh, I said, other than the national anthem, my favorite song is whatever I'm learning right now. You know, I have the same answer. That's that's very typical of me. Yeah. I was singing If I Were a Rich Man a while ago from Fiddler on the Roof with my wife, and she doesn't like it. She doesn't like no, it? No, imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> you make a good tip, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's important to uh, to listen to all genres. Uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I do. Um, with with the exception of stuff that I just... Uh, I think we're not telling you secrets. I don't. I don't care for rap. I don't care for heavy metal. I don't understand it. Um, I mean, quite literally, can't understand the words. But I don't understand it anyway. I like stuff with a tune. I, I yeah, definitely yeah. Like a melody. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, you know, there's room for everybody in this world. Uh, right. Somebody likes that. That's great. But it's just. Yeah. Uh, just don't do it next to me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> do you? Um, do you have any? Uh, advice for somebody that might want to, to go into this for a living? Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree with you that there's, uh, there's room for everybody. And if you're serious about doing it, doing it. There's nobody going to talk you out of it. Try to, uh, try to maintain uh, a sense of humor and try to maintain a sense of reality. And so it might be, might be good to, to uh, don't, don't maybe not quit your day job right away. Have something you can fall back on. You don't have to be a lawyer or a, a banker or a chemist or a doctor. Just something to fall back on that you can keep the wolf away from the door at least temporarily until, until you get a foothold in, in this uh, show business. Well, what were you doing before you were playing music? I taught school. I was in the service. I taught school for a little bit, and uh, I wasn't too successful at either one of those. I didn't know either. Well, I knew the service part, but I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> the school teacher. Yeah, a little bit. Played, coached football, and uh, then just uh, decided to. Had the, the bug finally got its teeth sunk into me, and it definitely gets in your blood. Yeah, it's something. Uh, once it's there, it, it doesn't shake too easy. No, no. And uh, what what is the old saying? You know, you find something that that, that you like doing, and, and you're able to do it. You you you're not you're not really going to be working for a living, right? As, or yeah. something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. You never work a day in your life yeah. if you do something you like. It's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that uh, you know, I was very. I think I include you as well that. Uh, you know, you're lucky to do something that you really liked and, and were able to make a living at it. Right. Because, uh, I mean, people, as you say, there's a lot of musicians and uh, singers out there, and uh, those that were able to make a living at it are, are in the minority. And, right. Uh, and so I, I consider myself very lucky to have, uh, you know, certainly not a millionaire, and, and uh, not, even, not even close, but... Uh, Made a comfortable living. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, Anything you'd like to say? Yeah. Uh, 
try to maintain a sense of humor about yourself and about the world, and sometimes that's very, very hard to do. And uh, because I think my general, my general reaction is, is antagonism. And, uh, try to try to keep a rein on, it. keep uh, keep a sound head about yourself. Try to be kind. Treat people the way you want to be treated. That's all. Good advice. <laughs> well, thank you, Frank. I appreciate my pleasure, it. Jim. Now, Frank's going to take us home with "Where Do You Go To, My Lovely." Marlene Dietrich. You dance like Zizi Jean-Mer. Your clothes are all made by Balma. There are diamonds and pearls in your hair. Yes, there are. You live in a fancy apartment off the boulevard San Michel. There you keep your Rolling Stone records And you're a friend of Sarja Distel Yes, you are I've seen your qualifications That you got from the Sorbonne And the painting you stole from Picasso Your loveliness goes on and on Yes, it does but where do you go to, my lovely, when you're alone in your bed? Tell me the thoughts that surround you. I want to look inside your head. Yes, I do. When you go on your summer vacation, you go to Jualepa. With your carefully designed topless swimsuit You get an even suntan on your back and on your legs When the snow falls you're found in San Moritz With the others of the jet set And you sip your Napoleon brandy But you never get your lips wet No, you don't but where do you go to, my lovely, when you're alone in your bed? Tell me the thoughts that surround you. I want to look inside your head. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. They tell me that when you marry, it will be to a millionaire. But they don't really know where you came from And I wonder if they really care to give a damn So they tried So look into my eyes, Mary Claire 
And remember just who you are. Then go and forget me forever. But I know you'll still bear the scar deep inside. I know where you go to, my lovely. When you're alone in your bed. Yes, and I know the thoughts that surround you. For I can look inside your head.